So when the market crashed, all my clients lost their job. The majority of them lost their jobs and everybody, I mean, of course it was horrible for everybody. And within nine days I had lost all my clients and had nothing. And I had no savings. I didn't have, I didn't have anything. My parents didn't teach us good financial practices and stuff. And so I wasn't squandering it. I just didn't know how to save it. And there wasn't any left over. And so then I was homeless. It was me and my dog. Financially stressful events happen all the time. It could happen due to external events like economic recession, which happen almost every decade or so, and we have no control. But sadly, for some businesses, it could be caused by not having the financial planning and processes in the business which can result in a significant amount of business debt, inability to pay yourself, the business owner, a living wage salary, or even worse, as a mission-driven women-led business, not being able to achieve the social impact mission you have been dreaming of because simply there is no money left to support your costs. When your business is not able to withstand financially stressful events that impact profitability and asset, it means you have not built the financial resilience needed to weather any storm heading your way. Which is exactly what happened to my guest, Christy Nickel. Christy Nickel has been in the health and fitness industry since 1994, helping people lose weight by eating real food. Her weight loss program has helped hundreds of people lose 10% of their body weight every month. She is the author of The Code Red Revolution, which details her seven simple rules for losing all the weights you want without pills, shakes, diet foods, or exercise. Today's episode is part of a podcast series, Humility and Resilient where I continue the conversation with mission-driven women entrepreneurs about how they came back up on their feet with humility and resilience after unexpected events crumbling their businesses. Episode 83 last week is the first episode in this podcast series. Christie's first business wasn't able to withstand the 2008 financial crash. She closed her business and was left homeless. She collected food stamps while building her second and current business. She built it from zero to eight figures. Her growth was tremendous and luckily, she has a financial expert asking the right question. So Christy doesn't make the same financial mistake again. You're listening to her CEO journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Chahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business. 
Christie's story brings me back to my gold mining days when I was the vice president of finance. If you understand gold mining, mining companies have no control over the gold prices. The gold price is determined by the market. So it can be amazing one day and the next day. Some crazy things happen in the world. The price can drop by 50%. It meant a 50% loss in revenue just like that in a day which is the exact situation many of you experienced in March when COVID-19 hit. What many of you experienced back in March, that's a normal event in my days working as a finance leader in gold mining industry. But it taught me a valuable lesson that is transferable to the small businesses I'm working with today. That valuable lesson is be proactive instead of reactive. It means to be ready with plan B, C, D, or E. Be ready with a cash runway to cover the fallout in the gold price. When a CEO walked into my office, I was ready with several plans. Not a band aid action plan, a panic mode plan, but a step-by-step plan along with a financial story showing the financial picture to the CEO if the business has a sufficient cash runway over the next 90 days. And if there is a cash flow gap, what to do next? By the way, once you have listened to today's interview and you realize you don't have clarity on how to create a proactive financial plan, let's have a chat to see how we can get this in place for you. Book a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat. Now, let's find out Christy's CEO journey. Christy Cotret Nickel, welcome to her CEO journey. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. Can you share about your journey from being a boxer in 2003 until now that you built Cotret? Yeah, well, I became a professional fighter, not because I wanted to, not because I was a boxing fan, not because I am a great fighter. I became a fighter to pay my way through college because I grew up very poor on a ranch in northern Idaho. My dad was a minister and a cop. My mom just worked for minimum wage. And so when it came time for us girls to go to college, ain't nobody paying our way to college. And so I was bartending and waiting tables and I was so broke. And I've been broke most of my life. And uh, I started fighting. I was taking a boxing class at a local YMCA. And there was an actual boxing instructor watching me from the window. And he comes in and he says, how long have you been boxing? I said, about 44 minutes. And he said, you have a propensity for fighting. Well, now that I'm a coach, I understand what he means. But back then I was like, pal, whatever. And he said, you want to fight pro. And I said, I don't care about fighting. I'm just trying to pay my way through nursing school. And he said, you can get paid to fight. So I 100% started boxing just to pay for my dinner. I was one of those poor, and they say the boxing is a poor man's sport and it is, but little did I know that it would completely propel me to being one of the top three most dangerous females on the planet, 15 pro fights, two titles, my own show on MTV, my own magazine covers, one of the top celebrity trainers in the United States, a chance to be a trainer on The Biggest Loser, all these different things. I had no idea that it would take me to that level. So, okay. Did you make money? <laughs> did you pay your did you pay your way through college? 
Do you know why? Because in boxing, sex sells. Sex sells in boxing like anything else. So if you're pretty and you can fight, you get more fight opportunities and you get paid more because people don't want to see two ugly girls go at it. They want to see pretty girls fight, which I know sounds crazy and demented and weird. That's just the nature of the the ticket holders. And so boxing is 50% how well you fight, but 50% how many butts you can get in that seat. And be because I was so good at marketing myself, I sold out fights all over the world. Everywhere I went, people lined up and they, they just were just stumbling over themselves to come watch me fight because I was dynamic and fun and, and energetic. And I put up a good and I bled a lot. And they say on TV, if it bleeds, it leads. So really? it's a business like anything else. How did you even know how to market yourself? Like, I mean, yeah. how? you were going to be a nurse. Nurse didn't market themselves. Right. And you're so right. How did I know how to market myself? I caught on quickly to what the promoters were looking for. I caught on quickly to the people that were really good boxers, but didn't get any fights. And I caught on quickly to why is it? Why aren't they putting them in fights? Well, because they just don't put butts in the seats. They're boring. And so I was like, if I want to get fights, if I want to get paid top dollar, because you get paid according to how many people you can bring in, then I better start bringing some people in. So I learned real quick to be dynamic and engaging and be good at marketing and smile and speak to the press. I mean, when I fought in Beijing, I did 11 straight days of three, four, five interviews a day. It was exhausting leading up to my world title fight. So it is not easy. That's the hard part of boxing. Wow. Okay, so from boxing, then you become an award-winning trainer. So what happened there? I mean, I'm always trying to make money and, and that was a great way to work around my school schedule and work around other things. So I was in school, I was boxing. I then went into personal training just to, to make some extra money because I happen to be good at it because personal training is all about how well you communicate with the client. It's about how well you can, you can translate what you need that client to do. And I was so good at communicating. And so I was like, it was the natural progression. I love sports. I love working out. Might as well just start. I started training people to box. I started doing personal training. And so when I got my show on MTV, I got a lot of worldwide exposure for a few years. And I was offered a job to train celebrities in New York City. So I moved to New York City. I trained celebrities. That's how I trained Ethan Hawke and Claire Danes and Katie Couric and some of the big names in that, that people would recognize and some other big names that people don't recognize because they're behind the scenes. And I did that for years. Okay. And then I heard in one of your uh, interview that, you know, 2008 happened, market Oof. crash. Okay, so you were making money, obviously, like throughout all this time from boxing, from becoming a personal trainer for famous people. But then I heard that you lost all your clients within nine days after the market crash. Then you went homeless, you know, were on foot stamps. What happened? You were making a lot of money. Yeah, I was making a lot of money, but anybody that knows the Upper West Side in Manhattan, you know that it is extremely expensive to live there also. So all my money is going to my rent and all my money is going to my gym rent. So I was making good money paying clients, but in order to train a celebrity, a high profile celebrity, you have to have a very secure gym with very good security. And this was a very, very, very expensive gym in New York City. And it took up 
all my money. So I wasn't managing my money poorly. I just didn't have enough to be able to, between the gym rent and my, my house rent, I mean, it was just everything I could do to keep my head above water. So when the market crashed, all my clients lost their job. The majority of them lost their jobs and everybody, I mean, of course it was horrible for everybody. And within nine days, I had lost all my clients and had nothing. And I had no savings. I didn't have, I didn't have anything. My parents didn't teach us good financial practices and stuff. And so I wasn't squandering it. I just didn't know how to save it. And there wasn't any left over. And so then I was a homeless. It was me and my dog. I had just enough money to get myself back across the country. I mean, I remember standing in the, the food bank line in New York City and someone recognizing me from my MTV show. Hey, aren't you Christy Code Red from MTV's Made? And I love that show. And then they would look around, why are you standing in the food bank line? I have got no money, I've got no food. And I, my, my parents shipped me some venison uh, in the overnight mail all the way. And I remember my last package of meat. I had given my last bit to my dog and that was, it was just he and I, and we had, we had nothing. We had absolutely nothing. So when that market crashed, I mean, I was down and out. Oh my God. <laughs> so how did you pick yourself up from there? Because I know then you started Code Red Lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So I picked myself up. I moved myself back in with my parents and I started over completely from scratch with nothing, with debt. I had a bunch of debt. I, I had the move back across the country on a credit card. It was just awful. And so I started saving money and I didn't start Code Red until I, I've always been in the, in the industry for 25 years. I've been in the health and fitness industry, but I, I actually started Code Red because I started getting fat. And here I am an elite level athlete and I actually started getting fat. And I'm thinking, why am I getting fat? I'm training three to five hours a day. Well, I discovered it's because I was shoving crap in my mouth that didn't belong there. And you can't, doesn't matter how much you train. So I started Code Red thinking, wait a minute, if exercise doesn't matter when it comes to weight loss, it matters on a lot of other reasons, but not weight loss, then this level is a playing field for everybody. So that's when I started Code Red, but I still wasn't making any money. I still, I still, I had a great program that got great results, but I didn't even know how to monetize. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I was still receiving Idaho State food stamps, even though I had a great program. How long were you on the food stamp? I believe it was about a year, 10 months maybe to a year. How did you even train your mindset to keep going? Because that is not an easy situation to pick no. up. I'm not prone to depression. I've never battled with depression, but boy, it's sure easy to get down on yourself when ain't nothing going right for you. I mean, and, and it's just getting, you're getting hit on every, every angle, every direction. Like, really? Come on. You know, I would show up to my little office in downtown Boise and I would sit there because I didn't understand the power of being online. So I wasn't online and I would sit there and just see one client at a time and it just wasn't making the ends meet. And I, but I never gave up. I knew deep in my heart that I was meant for more. I just didn't know how to get there and I didn't quite know what. I would fantasize about the life I have now. And then I would say, someday, someday I'm going to be big. Someday I'm going to write a book. Well, I've written four books. Someday I'm going to be on stage. I've been on big stages. Someday I'm going to be in a, you know, and, but I didn't know how to get there. So I constantly talked to myself kept myself going. It's going to work. It's going to be okay. You're going to find a way. You just got to keep showing up every day and keep pressing on. What were the steps that you took from sitting in that one office and then now you have a 10 million business? 
there was one defining moment that got me to where I am tonight. One big, big moment. And that was Natasha Hazlett. Natasha walked into my office for weight loss. She lost 55 pounds in five months. And she said, I had heard about you. She said, you are, uh, I heard you there. There's nobody better at getting weight off people. And there is nobody better at getting weight off you. And so in her first month, she lost 20 pounds her first month. And my people eat real food. There's no shakes, no pills, no diet foods, no, no, it's real food, water and sleep. It's really simple. And she came to me uh, in, in the first month and said, I've lost 19 pounds. And she said, I've never seen anything like this. She said, you have a program that's so special. She said, I'm a business coach and I can help you. She said, you are playing so small. And she goes, you, what is your dream? I said, to make millions and reach millions. And she said, you can't do it like you're doing it right now. You can't do it waiting for one client at a time just to come through the door. You've got to restructure Code Red and we've got to get you out to the world. Natasha single-handedly turned Code Red around. I went from making, from being on food stamps to my first million in one year. In so one you, year? One year. Talk about a complete, oh my gosh. I mean, like I scaled and then I went, I doubled every year. So my next year was 3 million. Next year was six. Next year was 10. So it went bam, 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 bam. Question for you. <laughs> one year, seven figures. Okay. So what is different? Because a lot of people out there started hard, you know, borrow money like you did and then give it to a coach and they didn't make seven figures in a year. So what happened? What did Natasha do for you that really bring that to a trajectory of a million dollars in one year? Yeah, it always amazes me, the answer to this question, because I just can't believe it. The answer is that I did everything she said. Entrepreneurs, they do not want to do everything their coach says. They want to just sit around. They want to binge watch. Not all of them. They want to binge watch Game of Thrones. They want to sit around and wait for the moon and the sun to align. And they don't do what their coach says. A lot of them do not follow through with what their coach says. And you've got to act now. And, and she mm. said, now do this. Now do that. And I didn't even, like there wasn't, I, I one time acted so fast, she wasn't even ready for me to, you know, now put that on sale, now launch that, now don't, you know, and, and entrepreneurs, they do not, they don't follow everything their coach says. So let's dive in to the interesting topic over here, finance. You mentioned that you grew up poor and then, you know, being in a foot stamp and then you didn't have the skill for financial management at the beginning. So when you are building a big company, I agree with mindset. Mindset is everything. But I also believe there's got to be process that you have to take. So what process did you build in to make sure that your business continue to be profitable, one, and then you are able to pay yourself decent amount as the CEO? Can you share with my audience? My husband is a retired CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And when I realized that I was uh, getting big quick and, and I realized I did not have the skill set to handle this kind of growth, I quickly ran to him and said, oh my goodness, would you please help me? I do not know what I'm doing. And you guys listening to me right now, it's okay to say that. I know that I am the queen of weight loss, but I am not the queen of prof of PLs, and I'm not the queen of my balance sheet. I don't understand those things. And that's okay that you don't understand it, but get people around you who do. And that was my first thing is I got, I got my husband to come on as my CFO and help me manage the growth. 
was. Another thing I did was I got a really good bookkeeping company, not only to get a good bookkeeper, but get a good accountant and make sure that they talk to each other all the time. And so getting a good accountant, a good bookkeeper and a good CFO that keeps things going behind the scenes without me was huge because I knew things were going to get out of control quick. The scaling was so fast. It was so abrupt and it was so dramatic. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with all this money. And I knew that I'd be, I needed to pay taxes. I knew that I needed to set aside. I, I knew some needed to go into investments and I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. First thing I did was get some help. I had to get people around me to help me manage that huge growth spurt. So when did you get a bookkeeper? When did you get an accountant? And then when did you bring your husband on board to become the CFO? I got a bookkeeper pretty early on. I think um, in, the, in my second, I think I hit my first year, I did okay with my first million. But the second, when I hit the $3 million mark uh, or building up when I was doubling so rapidly, I got my bookkeeper pretty early on. And it was just kind of like just me and Michelle, like we were just kind of together and we were doing it and we were limping along just fine. And then I realized, oh, it's going to take a bigger staff. And so then I brought on the accountant in 2019 when we, re when we doubled again, Miles, my husband said, you're doubling again, babe. We need to bring on someone who's very, very well-trained that can focus hundred percent on you. When I doubled to the $6 million mark, at that point, I also brought on my husband. He was helping me on the side, of course, because we was, were married, but I brought him on on payroll in 2019 as well to have regular meetings with me, the bookkeeper, the accountant, to analyze to taxes, everything. He's, he's full on doing that. Was he helping you on the side from the very beginning because he was the CEO of a Fortune 500? So I'm pretty sure that he understands that concept that you need to start managing your money to know where you need to put the best, you know, doesn't matter if, if even if you have a multi-million revenue, when you don't allocate that limited resources, it's not like it's unlimited. How did he coach you or how did he train you what need to what do you need to look at how do you allocate the limited resources to the right product i guess like can you share in that regard early on he started to help me understand the different fixed costs and different variable costs i'd never heard that before i didn't understand he say okay these are fixed costs these are so early on he started teaching me what the balance sheet look i didn't even have a balance sheet but he would uh, help me understand what that means. And I'd say, look, I have X amount of revenue. And he'd say, no, that's good. And, and I'm proud of you, but th these are your expenses. This is what your, you know, this is what your income actually is. And so early on, he started being gentle and it was embarrassing to me a little bit. Um, he's so smart and he's like, he went to Harvard. I mean, the man, he, he, he retired in his forties because he's very smart and, it, and it's intimidating to, and he's, and he's, well off on his own. And so it's, it's intimidating to, to talk to somebody who's so smart and he really dumbed it down for me in the beginning to help me truly understand this is what's happening. You know, I know that your water bottles, for example, are making a lot, but Christy, they cost a lot to ship and they cost a lot to make. So your profit margin is smaller on it, but look at this digital product you have. Your profit margin is a hundred percent. And so he really gently started telling me early on, he would look at my bank account and my bank statements. He would look at my little, you know, everything was just being kept on a, a piece of paper. And he, and so early on he could see 
the writing on the wall. And he quickly started coaching me to, he really wanted me to get a good firm, especially if anything ever happened with taxes. He said, you know, let's get you lined out. Let's get your legals lined out. Let's get your tax, you know, your accountant, your bookkeeper. So he was the one that really pushed for that. Did you see a benefit from understanding your financial numbers to the growth of your business? Oh, (laughs) I don't even have a word strong enough. You have got to keep your finger on the pulse of your business end of every day, at the end of every week, at the end of every month, and at the end of every quarter. And if, if something doesn't feel right, I know it because I'm watching it so closely. If I've got a product that was being so profitable last month, but for some reason it's not selling or something's, something's not right, let's, let's dive in, let's find it. But if you don't have your finger on the pulse of your money, and you don't know what's going on, you're not going to be able to catch. I mean, we were, I was hemorrhaging some money uh, the last, last quarter and Miles caught it and he said, Hey babe. Uh, and he came to me with my PNL and he came to me with some other reports and, and he turned it around. He said, this, this, this. And I said, Oh shoot. Well, we found out where it was. We plugged that hole. Everything was fine. But if he hadn't been watching, if I hadn't been watching, I knew something didn't feel right. You've got to watch all the time. You've got to know what's going on with your money all the time. Wasn't it scary though, Christy? Like, I mean, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they feel scared to look at the number. Was it scary for you to look at it? No, no, I, I refuse to give into the fear. I mean, I know that, that entrepreneurs feel fear, but you know, uh, I, in my boxing days, I was afraid. Every fighter is afraid. I step in the ring. I look across the ring at this girl who's foaming at the mouth and wants to kill me. I am really scared, but I, there's nothing you can do. I can't get out of that ring. I have to fight. I'm contracted to fight. I have to get through all 10 rounds. And so I learned early on that's just not going to do me any good. Um, Whether in the face of fear, I move forward. And entrepreneurs, if you're afraid to look at that number, knock it off. You have got to look at your numbers. You've got to look at where you are. You can't let time go by and you just think that everything's okay and you've got your head in the sand. That is not an option if you want to grow, grow, grow. You've got to find what's working and what's not. If I've got a book, look, I've written four books. I've written several more online books, eBooks. And there are a couple of books and you know, they don't sell very well and it hurts my heart, but so what? We're not going to put a lot of money into promoting that book when it just doesn't sell well. And that's the harsh reality of my work. I got a piece that just doesn't sell well. So entrepreneurs, you've got to, you've got to be real with yourself. You've got to keep your finger on the pulse. Don't stick your head in the sand. Okay. So Christy, where can people find you? Podcast people listen to podcasts and I have my podcast called Rebel Weight Loss and Lifestyle and it's ranked number 250 out of 900,000 podcasts in the United States. So I'm, I'm super proud of that. Uh, Rebel Weight Loss and Lifestyle, I'm on every week. You can go to 10poundtakedown.com if you're interested in giving me a shot. You can go to coderedlifestyle.com and, and see what we offer for you. I know there's something there we can help you because I almost everybody wants to lose a little bit of weight. And then I have to say, I listened to your podcast, you know, with because sometimes you came on with your sister. My God, she talked exactly like you. I couldn't differentiate between you and Carly. That's her name, right? Carrie, oh, yeah. Can you imagine being my own dad? My dad can't tell the difference between us girls and my mom. I mean, we I, all sound the same. I it's- was listening. And then I'm like, I don't even know which one is Christy. Which one is this sister? It's so but it was so fun to listen to you guys. You know, it, I think the podcast, I find it very authentic, real talk. 
it's fun even for me to listen and it's not only talking about health like you guys talk about so many other things the dynamic between the two of you is just awesome so you know i really i really enjoy it when i listen to that <laughs> to thank you it's, i love that thank you christy it was awesome thank you so much and that's bring us to the end of another show Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. If you want to create a proactive financial plan and process for your business so you are ready to weather the financial storm over the next few months, let's chat and see what's possible for you. Book in a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat.